Pastor Xavier Reese with the standard of living, ensuring quality of life. The Word of God will keep me on track. You want to be a godly man, a godly woman, then know the Word of God. It is God's standard, absolute standard. Too many people don't believe that today. And so they get deceived. The only way you're going to discern the false prophet and the false teacher, by knowing God's Word. You don't have to learn all their, all their lies. All you have to do is know the truth. And if you know the truth, when the light comes, you'll say, that's a lie. You've got to know the Word. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. One of the most effective ways to recognize counterfeit currency is to be completely and intimately familiar with the real thing. When you are deeply aware of how a real $20 bill feels in your fingers, the intricate details of its artwork and small fibers embedded in its material, you can more capably recognize when you have been handed a counterfeit. When you know the real thing, the subtle differences in the counterfeit stand out to you. We can apply the same strategy in spotting a counterfeit faith. Once you become familiar with the true standard, the counterfeit cannot help but stand out for its differences, no matter how subtle they are. Important simple truths coming your way today as Pastor Xavier continues a study drawn from the book of Jeremiah titled, Woe to False Prophets. Let's listen. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 9 through 22, and the message entitled, Woe to False Prophets. Let's begin here with the condemnation of the false prophet. Notice first in verse 9, the false prophet, they pain the prophet of God. The prophet Jeremiah declared that his heart within him was broken because of these false prophets. And the word broken there means to be crushed, to be shattered, or to be torn. It's a spiritual warfare, but physically he's being affected by it. He is involved in the message. He is involved with the people. He is present there. So literally, he is being shaken by the evil that he's witnessing and the opposition that's going on. Notice secondly in verse 10. The false prophets pain not only Jeremiah, but they pain the land of God. The land was full of adulterers. The covenant of marriage had become polluted, kind of like today in our day. Look at verse 10 still. The land was controlled by the false prophets, and the course of their life was evil. And their power and authority was abused and misused. In their course of evil, they influenced the people for evil, as I said. And so Paul the Apostle, leaving Timothy in Ephesus, in 1 Timothy 1, 3, says, I urge you, when I went into Macedonia, to remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, only what is biblical. Now, I hope you can distinguish that there are things that we don't agree upon, even as Christians. Some people believe in the gifts for today, some people do not. And there are other two or three things that we do, so we can disagree agreeably on those things. Line up with the church that, that you believe, that you believe, and get busy in the kingdom. But don't fight each other and don't try to change anybody else, okay? But when it comes to salvation, we cannot differ from there. When it comes to the absolute truth of the word of gospel, we cannot change it. And we have to take our stand. Notice secondly, verses 13 through 15, you have the commonality of the false prophets. In verse 13, first of all, Jeremiah witnessed the folly in the prophets of Samaria. So now, you know, this is a hundred years before, about so he's looking back. The folly refers to their foolishness. That's what the word means. It means empty, being foolish. They were foolish because they set themselves as prophets of God when they were not. 
You know the whole concept of the uh, of the northern kingdom. They were worshippers, the prophets of Baal, and they it, it caused God's people, as He says here, to err. And they set up the golden calf in Dan and in Bethel. And Jeroboam said, "Now these are the gods that delivered you." And because he was afraid that if the people went back to Jerusalem according to the law three times a year, that they would give their allegiance to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. So he says, "You don't have to go down there anymore. You do it here." And so they began to worship the golden calf in idolatry. And you had the prophets of Baal, 450 strong one time, and Mark Carmel, where God destroyed them through uh, Elijah. And he's pointing to the prophets of Samaria, and he's saying, don't you remember them? And so here it signifies that which is unsavory, that which is immoral, that which is in opposition to God in doctrine, in teaching, and lifestyle. They were like Saul who lost his savor, good for nothing to be trodden underfoot, as Jesus said in Matthew 5.13. Like having a flashlight without batteries. <laughs> like having a car without gas. Useless. But now he brings the contrast in verse 14. Jeremiah also witnessed the folly of the prophets of Jerusalem. But it's not only Jeremiah, the people knew about it. They knew the history of Israel. And so now Jeremiah saw a horrible thing in the prophet of Jerusalem. And the word horrible has a sense of shiver or to dread. The root word is used for rotten figs in chapter 5 verse 30 and 29 17. Disgusting. The things that were going on were things that should not be going on with those who are supposed to be men of God. Those things that were disgusting before God. And sin is always like that. And yet when God cleanses a person, then he gives them the divine nature to live beyond that ability and above that sin. Not that they don't have the capacities, but now they have the ability through God's grace to please God. And so Jeremiah qualifies a whore by listing certain things. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They also supported the evildoers, encouraging them in their wickedness. Verse 14. The people were all like Sodom and Gomorrah to Yahweh, morally perverse. Listen, here's the implication. Ripe for judgment. That's the implication. Not just that they were immoral and perverse, but ripe for judgment. You see, the comparison is real simple here. Even though the northern prophets of Baal were bad, the prophets of Jerusalem and the people knew about them. And instead of learning from them, they followed their example. And therefore, they were worse and they were, had more guilt than those before them. Pretty heavy. And so he makes a contrast between them right here. To magnify their guilt and to magnify their judgment. Notice, thirdly, in verse 15, Jeremiah speaking for God declared their doom. He would fight against them and destroy them. This is the conclusion of God's judgment by the word therefore once again. The captain of the armies of heaven would be their adversary, the Lord of hosts. And as you know, he's never lost a battle. He's never met anybody who could face up to him. He would feed them with wormwood, that which was bitter, strong smelling. He would make them drink of the water of gall, literally of poison for being evildoers. As a play on words from this verse and the verse before. Because they were evildoers and facilitators of evildoers, he would feed them with the same evil doing of gall, poison. Because that's what they were handing out to the people. Poison. When you hand to other people that which contradicts the word of God, you're giving them spiritual poison. You're deviating them from the rule of God. You're, you're being permissive where God is not. 
You're saying that they can be in evil and they can be in sin. They can do certain things and still be right with God. Then God will hold you responsible for that. This is what he's doing here. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, profaneness has gone out into the land ungodliness. They were the leaders. They were the example. They were the authority. The principle regarding false prophets is that they are all the same. Regardless of the time they appear in history, they do not agree with God's word. They contradict it. That's the principle. You can always know a false prophet. They are in opposition to God and his word. In fact, Enoch, in the epistle of Jude, there's only one chapter there. And uh, from verse 8 on down, he says, Likewise also the dreamers, speaking of the false prophets, defile their flesh, reject authority. They speak evil of dignitaries, meaning angels, principalities. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, meaning the false prophets. And whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them. Remember, woe is judgment, okay? Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. They run greedily after the heir of Balaam for profit, money, and perish in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, which they feast with you without fear. No big deal. Serving only themselves. They are clouds without water. Now, who wants a cloud without water? It's worthless. Carried about with the wind. Laid autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead. Pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea. Foaming up in their shame. Wandering stars. From whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So from the seventh from Adam. Enoch prophesied about these false prophets. Nothing has changed, has it? He says in verse 14 and 15, Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him, God. Everybody has a big mouth down here on earth. <laughs> Every mouth will be stopped before God. Nobody's going to say anything. Guaranteed. Peter tells us in the second epistle, chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, about these false prophets. He says, but there are also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. And that's the amazing thing, that, that hundreds and thousands follow. Uh, you would think that people want the truth. We always want to believe that, but that's not true, man. You look at the history of man, man follows a lie. Many call, few chosen. Listen, the road to heaven is not crowded. <laughs> the road to hell is crowded. And you know what? Nobody's complaining. The road to hell is crowded and nobody's complaining. By covetous. They will exploit you with deceitful words for a long time. Their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So Peter, as he's ready to be taken home with the Lord, he reminds the believer again. Now notice how he finishes up. He finishes up by giving us the characteristics of false prophets. Certain specific things. There will always be there. Verse 16, first of all. They spoke of their own will and desires. Life should go on right there when you hear that. 
Therefore the Lord of hosts told them not to listen to the words of the prophets who prophesied to them. They made the people worthless, it says here, meaning vain, empty, of no value to God or man. If you are not giving people the word of God, then it's of no value. And I'm talking in the context of their eternity. Religion will not do it. Philosophy will not do it. Morality will not do it. Listen, there are going to be a lot of good moral people in hell. You understand what I'm saying? Because they didn't accept Jesus Christ. Because they felt they didn't need to be forgiven of anything. They felt they were good enough. That's a deception. The reason is due to the source of their hopeless message. Notice. From their hearts and not the Lord. So they speak nice, soft words. I, I was writing in this morning, driving in this morning, and there was a woman there on the radio, and she's going on about poetry. How poetry just soothes you, and it's just so intimate, and it's just so personal. In a time of calamities, and that it soothes you, and all that, and it's going on and on. I'm going, okay. You know, and that's fine. But what does it do for your eternity? Nothing. Now, if you've got poetry, and, and you're pointing people to God, phew, Great. So I'm not so interested in the vehicle. I'm interested in the content. What is it that you're giving? Verse 17. Another characteristic. They continually spoke favorably to the enemies of God. Give away. They misrepresented Yahweh to those who despised him, prophesying in his name that they would have peace. The word despise means to spurn, to reject. They reject God, but they speak comfortably to the enemies of God. Oh, you're going to have peace. Nothing's going to happen to you. You're okay. Oh, you know how Christians are. They, they're proves They think you can't have no fun. Hey, you work hard. You work hard all week long. You can blow out a little stream. Go to Vegas. Have a blast. Just let yourself go. You deserve it. Okay? It did not deter anyone who walked according to the doctrines or the dictates of their own heart, telling them that no evil would come upon them. You'll be okay. He's a God of love. Don't believe what they say. And so people believe stuff like that. Rather than checking it out. You, some of you, thought like that. You thought, hey, I'm good enough. I don't beat my wife like my neighbor. Well, what do you do? Don't tell me what you don't do. Tell me what you do do, and then I'll tell you if you're going to go to heaven or not. And we always pick someone worse than us, right? That's how we look good. Notice 30 in verse 18. They were not men who had sat before Yahweh. They had not stood in the council of the Lord. They had not perceived and heard His word. None of them had marked His word or heard it. They just say they do. And I'll tell you, if you know the word of God, and you start listening to somebody teaching, or you start listening to somebody who's telling you that they're men of God or being used of God, it doesn't take you long to listen before you know this guy's all wet behind the ears. Look at 14, verse 19 through 20. Another characteristic, they would be utterly destroyed. The full fury of God's wrath is portrayed figuratively here as a whirlwind that will come violently upon their heads because they're wicked. It will happen. The Lord would not turn from his anger until the fulfillment of his proclamation, which was really the end result of his thoughts and the burden of his heart against them. He would bring it to pass. This they would understand, he says, in the latter times. Now, usually the phrase latter times is speaking about the last days or the big word eschatological. 
the last like tribulation, great tribulation. But it's talking about the immediate. The context tells you it's right here for the captivity. Okay? So probably the one in 586, 596 and 586 for sure. Okay? It's dealing that. Notice fifth here in verse 21. They were not the servants of Yahweh. He had not sent them. They had run. Listen, a lot of people run today. They didn't have authority. But they spoke on their own authority. And there's a lot of people today that think all they have to do is break away from a church, start a Bible study, and they can raise a church. And God has not sent them. If God has not sent you, God help the people. And then God help you. You better make sure God has sent you. You better make sure God has called you. You better make sure that God says that he's gone before you. What an awesome responsibility. He had not spoken to them, yet they prophesied in their own words. And the thing is that if you run on your own, then you have to keep maintaining that. And you have to keep uh, um, coming up with a bigger one and everything else. The neat thing about being called is, you know, you just go out and teach, you pray, and you do what God has called you to do. And you let God put it together. And you let God add to the church. And you let God open the doors. And you don't strive in it. And if God's in it, great. And if not, then let's just not do it. And so that's a principle for all of our lives also. How much more for men and women who are called by God. Notice lastly here in verse 22. They could have been prophets of Yahweh if they had stood in the council of Yahweh and spoken his word. But then they would have turned the people from their evil. In other words, they would have called them to repentance. You see? It could have been. It's a choice. No one is forced to do anything. You may be coerced. You may have pressure on you to do it. But bottom line, no one can force you to smoke, to drink, to fornicate, or to do anything. And if they do, it's a crime. And it's illegal. And there's charges brought to individuals. You have to make a decision whether you're going to partake or not. They chose to be prophets that opposed God and Jeremiah. The law gives warnings throughout, particularly Deuteronomy 13. When you get a chance, read it, but let me summarize it for you. Right there, Moses said in the law, If any man ever comes to you and tells you to go worship another God that you do not know, then you make sure you inquire and make sure it's true. And if it's true, you find that man and you kill him. Pretty heavy words, huh? He says, you make sure you find out. Don't just jump to make sure you're sure. And once you're sure, the first person there, they're responsible to kill him. Now, I'm not implying that we should kill people today um, that are false prophets or anything like that. Um, but they sure kill people, don't they? Physically and eternally. The criteria for God's word is given to us here in the same chapter. Verse 28 and 29. He says, the prophet who has a dream, let him tell a dream. And he who has my word, let him speak my word faithfully. What is shafts to wheat, says the Lord. So in other words, dreams, visions, all of that, if they're not confirmed by the word of God, it's shaft. Now God uses dreams, God uses visions, but it's confirmed by the word of God. But when it's contrary to the word of God, it's shaft. When you throw the wheat up, the shaft gets blown away by the wind. When you go to the store, you don't buy shaft, you buy the wheat. That's what nourishes you, the word of God. That's the standard. He says, it's not my word like a fire, says the Lord. In other words, it consumes all that is draw. It convicts. It purifies. 
And like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces, it convicts you and it turns you from your sin or it brings judgment to you. The Word of God. Nothing but the Word of God. And so these individuals were not using the Word of God. And we have a lot of that today in the church. A lot of feeling theology. And you have people saying, I have a dream, I did this, I did that, the Lord told me that, but it's all contrary to the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, you know the scripture, it says that all scriptures given by inspiration of God. Theopanuso, God breathed, literally expired. For doctrine, reproof, correction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished into every good work. The Word of God is what keeps me on track. You want to be a godly man, a godly woman, then know the Word of God. The only way you're going to discern the false prophet and the false teacher, by knowing God's Word. You don't have to learn all their, all their lies. All you have to do is know the truth. And if you know the truth, when the light comes, you'll say, that's a lie. You've got to know the Word. Peter assures us that what we have is inerrant, infallible, also. In Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. That the men of old were carried along by the Spirit of God. They did not speak of their own origin or their own impulse, but they spoke as they were carried by the Spirit of God. So that what you have in your lap is God's inerrant, infallible Word. That you can count on it as much as the people did when it was written. It is God's standard, absolute standard, so on and so forth. Too many people don't believe that today. And so they get deceived. The danger is so prevalent to the body of Jesus Christ that Peter finishes his last epistle with these words in chapter 3 of Second Peter 1-4. through 4. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle in both which I stir you up your pure mind by ways of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in Him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul. This is interesting, listen. According to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they also do the rest of the scriptures. Peter is saying the writings of Paul are equal with Old Testament scripture. They are considered scripture. And then we're already twisting them as they had twisted the Old Testament already to their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, since you know these beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the air of the wicked. But grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Why is He warning the believer? Because there's no possibility? Do you as a parent tell your child, don't go out in the street? Because there's no possibility? You're chopping down a tree and you're saying, watch out, it's going to fall. Make sure it doesn't hit you. Because there's no possibility? Listen, dead people don't get deceived. Live people do. He's talking to the Christian. Such were the characteristics of the false prophets. In Jeremiah's day, in the days of Peter, and in our day. And so, these were the false prophets of Jeremiah's days. And their threefold identity. The condemnation of the false prophets. The commonality of the false prophets. And the characteristics of the false prophets. God give us wisdom. Things haven't changed. 
they're only going to get worse when it comes to false prophets. Woe to the false prophet. Pastor Xavier Reese, examining the identifying marks of the false prophets in the day of Jeremiah so that we might apply the same biblical standard even today. And just before we close, let me mention that copies of today's Simple Truth study titled Woe to False Prophets are available on CD for only $4. And this will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, you'll be asking for the title Woe to False Prophets or just mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com